This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, away we go. It's the panel part of the program. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636, the Monday edition. Seeing familiar faces in-house. Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. How do, how do? Great day for talk radio, John. Thank you for that. Kelly Harris back with us, principal of Harris Public Affairs, also a columnist for Queen's Park Briefing and the Niagara Independent. How's Kelly? I'm fantastic, and Adrian took my line. All right. Uh, <laughs> I like to get to it first. I just want to check your mic. Is uh, that thing working? It was rather faint. Um, there you go. There you go. There now you sound I know loud. that this isn't working. Oh, your headset's not working? All right. Uh, I won't direct any questions your way, so not to worry. Uh, Tom Parkin <laughs> is with us. Just answers. Yeah. That's all we're going to get. That's all, that's all you need to do. It's plug and play. Uh, just read the script the way I wrote it. Uh, Tom Parkin rounding out the panel. Columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view. How's Tom? I'm good. How goes? It goes. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, I was thinking, well, the train traffic might get going again soon, too, because uh, the OPP were out there in Tyandonega territory earlier this morning watching this all unfold. Uh, they took away some peaceful, uh, some people peacefully. Uh, but two weeks in, Adrian, I'm going to start with you because, I mean, this was the prime minister when he did finally come back from his uh, trip abroad. He was counseling patient that that was patience that that was the prudent approach was it or could this thing have been nipped in the bud sooner much sooner than later well nearly three weeks and yeah i think that it should have been dealt with faster quicker um and i suspect that had it been uh, addressed even a week or a week and a half ago john we would have had similar result generally peaceful a handful of arrests, nothing over the top. It was not uh, catastrophic. You know, when law enforcement agencies do ultimately um, use that type of, uh, decide that they're going to, quote, go in, as it were. I mean, that's a very serious matter. And it is a very serious matter for those that are protesting. But the challenge we now have is that so much um, economic damage is done. One of the messages that people need to take away from this is that, 20 of the First Nations, where that uh, pipeline was going to go through, supported that project. They were going to benefit from that project. And then we saw another result last night. The, the story broke about tech industries, the tech company pulling out what could potentially be, could have been a $20 billion project. Again, benefiting First Nations, benefiting all of Canada. So, I think, yes, always lessons learned from these sorts of things. But the message, I think, across the world is can't necessarily build anything in Canada, can't necessarily do business in Canada. We have tons of uh, um, product sitting in the sitting in the water on the, on the coasts waiting to come in. Will they? Question remains. All right. Uh, well, that's the question of whether or not the government or uh, whomever, you know, government say they don't direct the police. Uh, we knew this was breaking the law and there is the rule of law, but why everybody vacillated until two and a half, three weeks in. And the other thing I would cite that it's also emboldened others going forward. In fact, we've just seen in Caledonia on Highway 6, somebody set up a protest. These things are going to pop up. It's going to be like whack-a-mole, Kelly. Uh, is that a risk now? Because it festered for so long, it's emboldened protesters that they see they can bollocks the works up and there will be very little response. 
Yeah, but yeah, and I actually wrote about this on Friday, John, the fact that, uh, you know, we keep hearing about uh, this um, massive um, resource development that's supposed to be happening in northern Ontario, the Ring of Fire. The Ring of Fire? And, you know, we've even heard the, pri- the Premier say, I'll drive the bulldozer if I have to, to get the roads up there. But uh, would you be shocked if we saw protests just spring up all over Ontario, not necessarily where it's minus 38 degrees right now, but uh, protesting the Ring of Fire. We've what the lack of action by our federal government and our provincial government in BC, anyway, uh, on this, I think it's just going to embolden protesters and this is going to be the norm. All right. Uh, if this is the new normal, is that a thing we should herald its arrival that, you know, uh, hooray for the progressive forces forestalling these projects in the interests of fighting climate change and yada, yada, Tom? Well, there's two issues here. One is the specific projects that are being proposed and they are pipeline projects. And so that has its own politics. But the underlying issue here is really land. And it's about uh, jurisdiction over the land, treaties and the places that there are no treaties. And when those two have collided, as they have in the last number of years, uh, we have these um, eruptions, let's say, where people, Indigenous indigenous people say, well, you know, we never ceded uh, rights to our land. There's no treaty over our land, which is a true statement. Well, why should that impact Belleville? Or just well, those things. are obviously solidarity moves that's, yeah. that's going on there. Okay. So that's what that's about. So stop the solidarity moves. Well, um, I, it's politics. It's politics and people it's are going to... It's economics too. It is. It is. I and, heard, and, and, I, and so the, the, the question here is how do, you, how do you try to provide some certainty for whatever kind of business it is that's, that wants to do an infrastructure project, a mine project? We're not, you know, nobody can be 100% opposed to all of those things all of the time. But when you can't know what the, who, who owns the underlying land, uh, and this has been going on for 150 years, and we solve it by bringing in the cops, you know, it's just going to happen okay, again but, and again. But, no, but let me just say, then uh, mm-hmm. they'll deal with this one separately in B.C. And Kelly spoke eloquently about that last week because he worked with uh, Gordon Campbell when he was premier out there. And he explained all of this. But I'm just saying... we. Let's uh, separate the situation, for example, out here uh, east of Belleville, because that tied up a lot of freight, continues to do so, as well as passenger traffic. And there was a rule of law. Either we're a country of laws or we're not. I mean, it seems pretty stark to me, well, and the laws were not being enforced. Yeah, uh, it's true. Uh, that's true. And the economic devastation the, the, I heard from small business people earlier today. This is also true. But, yeah, John, okay. but John, the, the the flip side of it, and this is where the whole concept of reconciliation uh, comes in, is that there's another truth that that bangs up against this, and that's the truth that uh, in BC there's huge portions of the province yeah. where there's no treaty, and, and no one ever gave their you know Canada was supposed to grow by treaty only. That was the law. Okay, but listen, of the land. If you disagree, so there's these underlying there's this underlying tension in our in our country, and. So the politicians are supposed to be trying to solve that problem, but they're not. And so we keep having these. But let's rewind and actually talk about how this began in the first place. Those that are the hereditary elders of the Wet'suwet'en people, people who no one had ever heard from before. No one even knew who they were before. However, their elected band leaders were very much supportive of the project, very much got buy-in from the rest of the communities and many of the reserves around the region. The 20 I talked about, 80% of them, um, including the Wet'suwet'en people, 
on reserve were very supportive of this project. So then you see these other protests that have popped up. They, they become like Velcro. You've got environmentalists who are aggrieved about something. You've got everybody else who's aggrieved about something in so- this solidarity movement. So to answer your question very plainly, John, yes, they should have been shut down. Yes, it should have been addressed. Give them their time, give them their moment to air their grievances. But the economic devastation, not just, I mean, let's talk about what that did to First, does to First Nations communities, many of whom own businesses and many of whom participate in our broader economy. It hurts them. It hurts but, so many people across well, this country. But Adrian, you're not really proposing a solution to the underlying problem here. So it's just going to come back and back like... Well, it is because uh, you know, well, it's Trudeau allowed to. Well, Trudeau was the one that well, said he was going to reconcile these things nation to nation. And I agree. I mean, we had Idle No More. That certainly was an awakening, uh, I think, um, along among many Indigenous people to, you know, that, hey, we're strong, we're proud, we're going to assert ourselves. And then picking up on that, Trudeau made a lot of promise, so the, the hopes were raised even higher. And really, there hasn't been delivery. So I think there's a lot of frustration. So political leadership uh, means bringing people together and discussing and getting, you know, getting agreements. Um, and it doesn't mean bringing in the cops or, or when you're bringing the cops, that means you fail. No, but you have a country of laws, Tom. Well, and you have, but, but, but you Adrian, have, you have, a country you have of laws thousands that, that was upon based thousands on, of First Nations yeah. of people that want to move forward with these Adrian, massive do, projects. The problem is we don't have a country of laws. And that's that's the no, fundamental but, problem. Because if you well, remember... I mean, we're the not very, anarchists. Well, last time I we checked. have contradictory laws. As you know, when Canada was formed, the expansion of Canada was never supposed to be other than by treaty with Indigenous peoples. All right, but right? listen. And that wasn't it. So there's underlying illegality or a legal gap. And, you're sh- and that's exactly saying, uh, well, that's what you're where saying, this problem is. The is a predicate, and therefore all these solidarity protests it, it, that are tying up in eastern Canada. But, you know, here's the thing. To Adrian's point, the beneficiaries of these projects would uh, be the, the Native communities themselves. Now, the fact that they're being uh, hung out to dry by all of this I'm wondering if uh, they weren't natives per se, but say uh, part of the mainstream, maybe there'd be more resolve to get these things through or uh, do these things, expedite. The, in a, a for, it's a form of racism in a way by letting these people down who aspire to having the same things other people want. You know, uh, better education for their kids, you know, cleaner water for their communities, uh, a standard of living that's raised by being participants in a modern economy, in a first world country. I almost see there's a tinge of racism behind all of this, Kelly. Well, and yes, and, and as I spoke last week, um, we, that's what we tried to do when I worked for Gordon Campbell in BC, is actually deal with the settling the issue in BC, which is that British Columbia First Nations, for the most part, are still governed by what's called the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. And 1876, the Indian Act goes back to, and we've got a prime minister who comes in and says everything about reconciliation does nothing except changes the name on a building and tears down a statue or two, but still doesn't understand why the Indian Act is a problem and they're not dealing with it. And Prime Minister Trudeau never talks about that being a problem. And it's almost, I um, I believe he thought he was going to come back and say, we'll negotiate with you and everybody because he's so special would just, just back off the line, the lines and say, Oh, oh Trudeau, our uh, savior in, uh, in, in Ottawa has come back. But the simple fact is Tom's right. There's, you need to deal with the social issues that are at the core of the problem here. And one of them is ownership of the land and clear title on the land. 
and Adrian's right too. We have laws in our country, and they're not being followed. All right. To my central question again. Uh, Sorry. Were you frustrated? No, that's all right. Was, were you frustrated that this has taken uh, two and a half weeks to address by the OPP here in our own province, just east of us? Well, I have a question about this, and I and I haven't got a clear answer to this, but everybody's so Mark Arnell came out and said the rail companies would have to get injunctions from courts to remove people from to get the OPP to remove anyone from which they this did. Land. They but, did. But but my question isn't that. My question is. Railways are private property. Why did they need to get an injunction in the first place? Well, I think because they're regulated federally. No, but they're they're private property. They're owned by the rail lines are owned by the rail company. If if I just decided to put a protest up in your front yard, you, the you could call the police and come and take me away. Well, well the CN uh, police were the ones who were going to they serve the injunction. So so yeah, so the, but what I'm saying is the the I I don't understand why the message from the federal government, Minister of Transportation, was if you don't want, like, if you want to deal with the protest, put it back onto the railway lines to go to court so that RCMP would come out and deal with the. That doesn't feel like proper dealing with an issue. But it's not. It's, it, it it's really not. isn't. But, it's I mean, abdicating but responsibility. But that's, but that's exactly in, compa- in, you know, in, in coming with the, the how this federal government acts on everything or doesn't act with respect to everything. And, yeah, the inaction of all levels of law enforcement is breathtaking. And, frankly, I know that they will step back and say, well, we'll have a review and, you know, we'll be back to doing this again in eight to ten years. It's ridiculous. It might, might not be that long. Let me come back and uh, we'll pursue the other big project that got pulled last night by the CEO of Tech Frontier. And some are curious about the timeline on this because the Liberals had to rule whether or not they would green light the project by, well, the middle of this week. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.